Hey guys, this is Dylan with the Scripture Chronicles. Thanks for tuning into the show today. If you guys enjoy the show and are blessed by it, please share it on Facebook, tell your friends, leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. All those things help out the show and help out its visibility so that other people can be blessed by it as well. If you want the most real-time information, the Facebook page, Scripture Chronicles, or the website, thebibleisastory.com are your best shot for that. Also, if you guys are blessed by the show, you can support us by donating. You can go to thebibleisastory.com and click on donate. That'll take you to the Patreon page. Thank you for everybody who does help keep this show on the air. Thanks, guys, and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Scripture Chronicles, the podcast where we explore the unified story of the Bible. I am Dylan, and joining me today is the ever-beautiful Corey Howitt. Corey, say hi to everybody. Thank you, Dylan. You know, I've always heard that I have a great face for radio. (laughs) Guys, thank you so much for tuning into the show again today. If you have been listening you will know that we are on Genesis chapter 27, and we're going to be going through Genesis chapter 30 today. If you are new to the show or have not been listening, that is perfectly fine. However, as always, I would suggest that you go back and listen to the episodes prior to this one, as these episodes do build on themselves. So last week's episode will actually inform this week's episode quite a bit as the biblical story is a progressive story. It only makes sense. That being said, if you don't have the time to go back and listen to the episodes preceding this one, we're going to go ahead and give you a brief recap of what we went over last week. So, Corey, what the heck did we cover last week? Because I don't remember at all. That's concerning. Well, let me fill you in. Last week was a pretty brief, not a brief episode in our time spent on it, but brief as in amount of chapters. And it was so brief, which was surprising because we were talking about the life of Isaac. And we went through pretty much all of Isaac's adult life that's given in the scriptures. Um, We've been talking about how odd it is that Isaac, who was promised for many, many chapters, was focused on so little. And so what we did uh, find out is that um, Abraham sends his servant back to his home country. And there's a really important um, couple of commands in commissioning his servant. He says, um, make sure you go back to my home country and bring her back one of my relatives and make sure that Isaac never, ever goes back there, but stays in the promised land. That was very important for Abraham. And he made sure to emphasize it strictly um, in commissioning his servant. And so sure enough, Abraham's servant goes and finds Rebecca at a well and finds out that this woman is the daughter of Abraham's brother. And it turned out amazing. Um, We found that this woman was good in appearance, which we thought, oh, this could be another thing setting us up for people doing what is only good in their own eyes. But Rebecca wasn't only um, good in appearance. She was also good in character. And so we see this good woman, Rebecca, being brought back to Abraham's uh, son, Isaac, and Isaac speaks of uh, Rebecca in a really good way, saying that um, Rebecca was a great comfort after Isaac's mother had died. And then we have the ending of Abraham's wife. Abraham takes another wife and has some more sons, but um, none of those other sons were fit to, you know, take on any of the blessing that God gave to Abraham. So he sent all those sons back to the east. And everything that he had was for Isaac. Um, And then we're like, okay, Isaac, he's the promised son. He's blessed and God appears and talks to him in the beginning of chapter 26. 
But then we see Isaac um, commit the same sin to the same king of the Philistines, Abimelech, um, lying about his wife being his sister so that the king wouldn't harm him. And so the, the same exact thing happens to Isaac and his wife as what happened to Abraham and his wife. And so if we were ever wondering if Isaac was the guy, he is not. So the blessing goes through Isaac, and Isaac has two sons, Esau and Jacob. And we had already seen that Jacob was named Cheater, and that God was going to bless Jacob with the blessing. Uh, but Jacob already has cheated his brother Esau by stealing his birthright. And then we saw Esau despise his birthright. So um, that brings us to going back to Isaac and Jacob today. That is a very good summation of what we went over last week. A few things that I would like to throw in as well. Keep in mind that when Corey says the guy, what we're referring to is the guy as promised in Genesis 3 verse 15, namely the guy that is actually going to come and save us from this mess that we have found ourselves in as soon as we chose our own wisdom and got exiled from the garden, that guy. So consistently in Genesis, what we're asking is, is this guy the guy from Genesis 3.15. And so, so far, none of the guys that have come on the scene as the main character, as the promised blessing or anything like that, have panned out to be the guy. So at first we had Noah, and we asked, is that the guy? Nope. Abraham? Nope. Isaac, the promised blessed son? Nope. As a matter of fact, we had such little time spent about him that I don't think he's even a main character. It's kind of odd. So now today's question, is Jacob the guy? Secondly, when we were talking about Abraham, we did touch on one key important fact, namely the fact that Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldees to go to the land that God promised him. As a matter of fact, God, Yahweh, said that this land that Abraham was going to, he was going to inherit as a part of the blessing. And so in essence, what is happening is that Abraham is actually being called out of Babylon. We made that comparison because in the prophets, it actually calls Ur of the Chaldees Babylon. And so it is basically saying that as Babylon happens, the Tower of Babylon, remember we talked about that, as that happens and everybody is judged because of that, this one guy, Abraham, is called out of Babylon. And so he's called to the promised land, and he's going to be blessed by God. And through this blessing, the son, the seed that we talked about from Genesis 3.15 is going to come. So we're expecting that seed. And it's a big deal that he got called out of Babylon. Like Corey already said, when Isaac needed a wife, Abraham stressed, don't let him go back to the land of my people. Why? Basically, he was called out of this land that's going to be synonymous with judgment. Don't let him go back there. Bring a wife for him from there. And so we're going to see how that's important today as well. Let's go ahead and jump into chapter 27. So we'll go ahead and read chapter 27 as this one is an important chapter. So starting in verse one, it says, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. And he answered, here I am. He said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock 
and bring me two goats, so that I may prepare from them the delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. So Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bringing a curse upon myself, not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Obey my voice and go bring them to me. Hmm. Well, this is interesting. A strange turn of events. So we're asking the question, is this guy the guy? And it's starting out with his mom telling him to go cheat his father out of the blessing. Corey, what do you make of that? I don't know, man. It's weird. But yeah, we do see that Jacob was named cheater at birth. Also, at his birth, God had told Rebecca that the older will serve the younger. And there's these two nations battling within her. And so God had chose Jacob beforehand. Um, but again, it seems like this is the people, uh, that is, Rebecca and Jacob taking things into their own hands. So just like Abraham and Isaac and everyone before and that will come after, God gives a blessing and the people say, oh, how can we make this blessing come about? This again shows a lack in trust in God. And again, it continues to show that Jacob is not the guy from Genesis 3.15. So Jacob's not the guy. He's not the guy. Yeah, that was easy and pretty quick. Pretty pathetic. You know what's crazy to me, Corey? In all of these stories, you seem to have two perspectives that always seem to be in tension. And it's really kind of interesting as the reader to try to keep the two perspectives you know, aligning. And the two perspectives seem to be from on one hand, you have the human perspective. And on the other hand, you seem to have God's perspective. And so God isn't making the humans do what he wants them to do. As a matter of fact, often these humans are screwing up to a point where they're actually failing to do what God commands. And yet God is still using these circumstances to bring about his purpose. And so it's not as though God is orchestrating sinful events or bad events such that it will happen in a certain way, but simultaneously God is sovereign over all of these circumstances such that his will is ultimately accomplished. And it's really strange as we read through this, and particularly in today's chunk of text, because we're going to see a lot of Jacob being an absolute idiot. And yet somehow this dude is going to be the dude that's going to pass on the blessing. He's going to be the main character. It's really kind of an odd thing to me. Just a little aside I thought I'd throw out there. Do you have any thoughts on that? Couldn't agree more. Just that it is odd and there's all this tension um, as readers reading the story. And that's why like, th this chunk of the story of Genesis is always kind of hard for me to read, to be honest. Um, but while we see the main character blowing it really hard and perhaps more so than the other characters we've seen, um, it does really show God's character in that when God makes a promise, he comes through with it because he makes a promise with some pretty bad characters. And so the cool and redeeming aspect out of this is that God uses people despite them being people. And so he blesses Jacob despite Jacob. And that's just Really hard to watch Jacob, um, but really, really cool and inspiring to watch God work like this. All right, let's continue with the story. We're going to pick up in verse 14, and it says, So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, that is the sheep. And his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hands of her son Jacob. 
So he went into his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because Yahweh has granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come here that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are truly Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize it because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of your game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him. And he said, see, the smell of my son is the smell of the field that Yahweh has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. So what we have here is Jacob literally tricking his father out of the blessing. He tricks Esau out of his birthright a few chapters prior and then tricks his father out of the blessing. And remember, we have been talking about the blessing. I actually call it the capital T blessing when we're talking about the blessing stemming from Genesis 3.15. And so this is actually the continuation of that blessing. So not only does he trick his father into giving him a blessing, he actually tricks him into giving him the capital T blessing, the same blessing through which Isaac actually came and was promised is now given to Jacob. So through Jacob, then the promised Messiah figure is ultimately going to come. So we've already established, it was pretty easy that Jacob is not that dude. He's actually probably one of the worst main characters we've seen so far. As a matter of fact, I wanted to camp on that idea just for a brief second and mention that whenever a character is the main character, it doesn't necessarily mean that that character is a good character or a moral character or an amicable character. It doesn't mean we should emulate that character. And so I noticed that sometimes in American evangelicalism, certain characters that are prominent or main characters, but not necessarily good characters, often get elevated simply because of their status as main characters. And Jacob often is one of them. But Jacob is a terrible dude. And throughout our reading today, we're going to see how that's consistently the case. And this is only one small part of it where he tricks his father out of the blessing. Is that really a good character? Absolutely not. But nevertheless, through this terrible character, God is still going to bring his blessing. As I said, with regard to the idea that there seems to be two perspectives, the godly perspective, you know, everything is being orchestrated by God, but then the human perspective, humans are trash. You know, we've seen that since Genesis three, humans consistently fail and choose their own wisdom over God's wisdom. Yet God is not surprised by the fact that humans are failing. Instead, God in his sovereign will is actually orchestrating everything in spite of the humans, such that ultimately humans will be blessed through the blessing, through the seed that eventually is going to come. Corey, any other thoughts? Sometimes I try to explain this uh, idea of heroizing characters in this way. Um, and talking about like antagonist and protagonist. So just because we have a protagonist of this part of the story in Jacob, again, we are we're so used to our stories having a good protagonist, and we want to heroize the protagonist. But just because he is the main character who the action is following does not make him good. And just because he is Isaac's son or Abraham's 
grandson does not make him good. Even um, with Isaac and Abraham, we saw lots of failures with them. And so, again, we're, we're so used to traditions of evangelicalism, just like Dylan said, heroizing the protagonist. And that's just not what the author is intending to do with these heroes. The authors, by giving us these characters, I think I just called them heroes. They're not heroes. Uh, by giving us these characters, they're trying to teach us, right? And especially the, these first five books of the Bible are called God's Torah, which means instruction. So God gives us these characters to instruct us, not necessarily be like these guys. Here's five things that Jacob does that you should also do to have a blessed life. No, we're looking at these stories for God's instruction. And so we have to pay careful attention not to fall into the trap of making Jacob a hero to follow. We're going to look through Jacob's life and learn truths about God, truths about ourselves. But this is not copy and paste. Oh, Jacob did this, so I should do this because he's a hero. He is not a hero. He is the protagonist, but that does not make him a hero or a good guy. I liked your terminology that you used, protagonist, antagonist. It is really good to use terminology like that because, again, the main premise behind this very podcast is the idea that the Bible is a story. So being that it is a story, it makes sense to look for a narrative elements that you would look for in a story, such as protagonist, antagonist, foil, things like that, where you're actually looking at the character as a character in a story and asking what role do they play before you ask the question, how does this apply to me? So that is very important. Keep that in your mind as we read through the story. And let's go ahead and finish up chapter 27. It says, as soon as Isaac finished Blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat some of his son's game that you may bless me. His father, Isaac, said to him, who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came. And I blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. And as soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to him, Behold, I have made him lord over you and over all of his brothers. I have given to him four servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me even also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, Away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brothers. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother, and Haran. That's going to be important. And stay with him for a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite woman. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? All right, that finishes up chapter 27. And as we see, Jacob is a deceiver. He lives up to his name. And interestingly, like we've already said, Jacob is not a good character. 
obviously he's not the Genesis 3.15 guy. And yet through him, this Genesis 3.15 blessing, the capital T blessing is going to continue. One other thing that I wanted to point out real quick was the fact that in looking at the Bible as a story, and particularly here, we see story elements. As a matter of fact, if you read through all of Genesis 27, it's actually presented kind of like one of those movie scenes, you know, where a character, say it's like a spy movie, right? And the character's going down to try to steal something real quick, and it's time sensitive. There's sweat dripping from his bow, brow, and he's just about there. He grabs it and starts reeling back up to the vent. And right as he gets up and the vent closes, someone walks in. It's kind of the this situation we're getting here. It's kind of time sensitive. It's kind of intense. It's suspenseful. Jacob walks in and Isaac doesn't really believe it's him. And then finally he gets the blessing. And right as he leaves, Esau walks in. The whole time the author keeps it suspenseful, which is really cool to actually read it like it's a story and be able to see stuff like that. So that's all I wanted to say on that before we move on. Corey, anything else? Totally. So we're still looking for this person to take on um, the blessing given to Abraham in Genesis 12. And we see that Jacob will be the person that will bless those who bless him. Well, God will bless those who bless him. And we'll see God curse those who curse him, just like we saw in Genesis chapter 12. Um, but yet, this is not looking good. And now he's going to be told to leave the promised land, just as uh, Isaac was strictly forbidden from doing from Abraham. And now uh, Isaac and his wife want to send Jacob out of the promised land. So yeah, just lots of deceiving. And now it's looking like it's going to get worse. And Jacob has his brother who wants to kill him. So lots of just terrible consequences for these sins, that is the people trying to play out this good blessing from God, but trying to do it in their own wisdom, trying to do it in a way that's good to their own eyes, um, and not waiting on God's action. All right, so we're moving on now, getting past the blessing bit. We wanted to camp there for the majority of this episode because that reflects the blessing moving on. That's the capital T blessing being transferred from Isaac now to Jacob. And now what we're going to see is a whole series of events that actually kind of characterize Jacob's life and in a sense showcase that he is not a great character as we've already established and serve to plague him. Yet in spite of all of these things, we are going to see God's faithfulness to Jacob. So moving on into chapter 28, we're not going to read the entire chapter now we're going to go and move at a more rapid pace and look at the bigger themes. So in chapter 28, the first thing we see is that Isaac calls Jacob and blesses him and directs him, you must not take a wife from any of the Canaanite women. So this is actually the same sort of thing that we saw Abraham say to Isaac, don't take a wife from the Canaanites. Instead, take a wife from my people. However, Whereas Abraham was very intent in saying, don't let Isaac go and sent a servant instead. Now Isaac's actually saying, arise and go to this place. And he says it to Jacob. So Jacob actually gets up and goes. And he goes to Laban. We've seen Laban before. He was actually a character briefly mentioned when Rebecca was first introduced. And now we're going to have a very similar story, except instead of a servant going and meeting a wife at a well, we're going to see Jacob himself get up and go and meet a wife at a well. Oddly, though, and Corey pointed this out to me at the beginning of this episode, and I am inclined to agree with him, we have Jacob doing this as though it's a good thing. But Abraham was very intent. Don't let Isaac leave the promised land. Don't let him go back to the land of, of my people. Because like I said at the beginning of this episode, ultimately, when Abraham is called out of Ur of the Chaldees, out of what is later going to be known as Babylon, he is actually being 
removed from this Babylon judgment and is being brought to the promised land. Why would you leave that and go back to Babylon? That doesn't seem logical at all. So Jacob, now having deceived or cheated his brother out of the blessing, gets up and goes back to Babylon. Strike two. Well, when you put it that way, it really doesn't sound good. (laughs) Jacob sent away back to his ancestors' homeland. We should see that as not good because of Abraham's commission to his servant. And so, um, after this encounter, um, we we had just heard that um, Rebekah is grumbling to Isaac, um, mainly about Esau's wife. Esau had taken um, a wife earlier, and so... Um, the mom didn't like it. And so after this little exchange where Isaac's uh, sending Jacob back to um, the place where Abraham left, or the Chaldees, um, now we have um, Esau. Um, this is verses 6 through 9 of chapter 28. We have Esau going and marrying a woman um, from Ishmael, Abraham's other son. And so he goes and take Mahalath. Ishmael's daughter is a wife, and this seems um, to be just in direct disobedience to God's desire for his people and um, Esau's parents' desire for their sons. Um, Esau saw that it wasn't good for him and his brother to marry Canaanite women, so I guess I'll just go and marry Ishmael's daughter. And so this is either Esau marrying a, another woman who's not a good nation to marry of just by, I don't know, just lack of sense and not thinking about it. Or he's very deliberately trying to stick it to his parents and possibly to God's like, well, you didn't like my last wife, huh? Well, let me go and get a woman from another nation if that one was so bad. And then he marry someone from Ishmael and his parents have just got to be doing a face palm. Like, where did we go wrong with this boy? You know, those classic parent talks we see in movies. Um, So it's just not good for Isaac and Rebecca's sons. They're not doing what is good or right in God's eyes, instead doing what is good or right in their own eyes. And so... From Esau's disobedience, we go into Jacob's journey. And so Jacob was at Beersheba, where um, we had uh, Abraham make a big treaty there, the well of seven or the well of oath. And so he leaves there and he's going back to Haran, back to the place where uh, Abraham had originally left from. And as he's on his way there, he stayed the night. And he takes a rock for a pillow. This is just a weird detail, an uncomfortable detail. And he dreams that night. And in his dream, he sees a ladder that's set up on the earth and reaches to the tops of the heaven. And on this ladder is a bunch of angels ascending and descending on it. And so this is a pretty big moment. This is Jacob's first encounter with God. And in verse 13, it says, And behold, Yahweh stood above it and said, I am Yahweh, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely Yahweh is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. 
So Jacob gets a bunch of stones, stacks them one on top of the other, and names the stack of rocks in this place Bethel, which means house of God. Dylan, in this latter dream, this calling of the place Bethel, what's happening? This dream seems very interesting. There seems to be a lot going on and a lot of hyperlinks going on in this dream. So first and foremost, the thing that popped into my head immediately as I read it was Jacob goes into sleep and has a dream. Who else do we know that slept and had a dream where God actually gave him great news? Well, Abraham. We've already had a lot of similarities between Jacob's story and Abraham and Isaac's story. They all seem to have similar things in common where the author is actually trying to draw you in to a lot of these similarities as he continues key themes and as he continues one of the main themes, the blessing idea. And so you're going to see a lot of those similarities in here. Another thing that I mentioned to Corey that I'm I'm not sure if I'm correct on or not, but we have the staircase that is placed on the earth that ascends into heaven upon which the angels actually ascend and descend. It's the basically means by which earth and heaven are connected. Well, who else do we know that actually tried to connect or unite earth and heaven? Interestingly, Babylon, the tower of Babylon was designed to reach the highest heavens and be a means by which humans could ascend and descend between earth and heaven. And so here we actually have, in stark contrast to that, the staircase by which angels are ascending and descending and over which Yahweh is standing. And later in the New Testament, we're going to see that this staircase or this connection between earth and heaven is actually Jesus Christ. So there is a lot going on as far as the illusions and drawing back and actually moving forward as well. As far as what God actually says to Jacob, It's interesting that it starts out, this whole narrative section starts out in verse 10. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. So he left an area that was within the promised land to go towards Haran. We already covered how that is a bad idea. We don't want Jacob moving from the promised land back towards Babylon. And yet, God appears to him and doesn't come and say, How dare you, Jacob, go to Haran? No, instead, he actually delivers good news to Jacob, who is now actually the bearer of the blessing that's going to continue through him in spite of him. Because Jacob, even up until this point, is doing all the wrong things. He's taking all of the wrong steps. Nevertheless, when Jacob awakes after having heard the voice of the Lord, he says, surely Yahweh is in this place and I didn't even know it. Huh, that's odd. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Now he's just babbling and talking nonsense. So early in the morning, Jacob actually took the stone that he used as a pillow. Maybe it's because he used a stone as a pillow that he's talking nonsense. And he sets it up and he actually anoints it. We've seen this already before in Noah and Abraham, as a matter of fact. So he anoints the stone, sets it up as an altar, and he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at first. So it's no longer Luz. He calls it Bethel. Then Jacob made a vow. If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I will come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all of that you have given me, I will give a full tenth to you. And so basically, at this point, he is promising to God that if God actually delivers him from 
this destination, if he watches over him as he journeys and brings him back, he's going to set Yahweh up as his God and deliver a tenth to him. It's a really interesting exchange that's going on here. And even after having read through it a few times, it still puzzles the mind. Corey, do you have anything to add? Um, just another reason why we're reading this as Jacob shouldn't go back, besides looking back and looking at Abraham's instructions, saying not to go back there. If you look at the next verse, which is the first verse of chapter 29, it said, Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And we have seen that the east is not a good place. Starting from the very first sin, people were sent out to the east. Yeah, so we've continued to see the east not being good. So don't go back to the east. So besides it being back towards Babylon, which is not a good place, east is also theologically significant. So do not go back there. Stay in the promised land. But yet... He's going back to the land of the people of the East. Yeah, it, it is a very weird interaction, though. And it is hard to sometimes make these judgments. I was talking to someone who was listening to one of our earlier podcasts, and uh, she was troubled that God or the narrator never really makes much you know, hoopla about Abraham taking on multiple wives, or at least, at the very least, uh, sleeping with the maidservant or any of these other patriarchs taking on many wives. Like, we know that's bad today, but was that not a bad thing? But we you know, went over from the context, yeah, this actually was not a good thing. And in fact, any other time we see someone take on more than one wife, it doesn't go well, which we're about to see. Um, and so we might want in our stories like really clear, oh, and this was a good thing, and this was a bad thing. Unfortunately, the Bible doesn't do that so clearly, like maybe how we're used to or how we would want it. Uh, but yet the author, I would imagine, is thinking he's being very clear by the context. And so in keeping up with these themes, which is we might sound like, you know, we're beating a dead horse with, you know, continuing to repeat these themes over and over again. Um, but it's important to be naming out these destination places and naming out these themes, because only then will we see that, oh, yeah, Jacob shouldn't have gone back there. And if you're like me, I've always just thought it a good thing, because Jacob, a biblical character, did it. So that's why we started the episode with, these biblical characters are not heroes. They don't always do the right thing. If we pay careful attention to the context, we can see the author's intention in showing us that, oh, this was bad. If you listen to this earlier warning, or if you look at this um, setting, you know that this setting is not a good place. And so that should um, hopefully um, clarify some of this narrative. So you guys, you know, don't take our word for it either. If these things um, don't make sense to you, go through and, and try and do these studies on your own. And then, you know, come back to us and email us. We always throw out that you can email us any questions at our email or go to our website and check us out there. So it, it is a confusing kind of back and forth, not to make light of that, but I think we can see authorial intention here. And so with that, let's uh, continue now to see Jacob's journey. And so going into chapter 29, which is where we'll kind of be skimming over again. Um, in chapter 29, Jacob comes to a well. And as he comes to the well, there were flocks of sheep lying beside it. And we should be thinking of the last time we saw someone come to a well to find a wife. Because remember, the whole reason Jacob is being sent away is to go find a wife from his father's people. And so now... He's sent away to find the wife, and first thing that happens is he finds a well. And once we see this same exact scene as we saw with Abraham's servant finding Rebekah for Isaac, we should hear some wedding bells start to ring. And so he goes to the well, he pulls back the stone, and he starts watering some of these sheep, and 
he starts talking to some people and they say, like, yeah, we we know who you're looking for. Laban, the son of Nahor. Um, actually, you know what? Rachel's daughter is coming right now with the sheep. Coincidence? I think not. And so at high day, Rachel comes with her sheep. And as she comes with not her sheep, but her father's sheep, I should say, Jacob goes and tells her, like, hey, I'm your father's nephew or whatever. So we're cousins. So let's get married. He kissed her, wept aloud. And they go back and run and tell Rachel's father Laban about it. And they all go out and embrace Jacob. They're happy to see him. And Laban says, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with them a month. It's a little odd that Laban quotes um, Adam after Eve was made. But things are going well. We have just like Abraham's servant finding Rebecca. And sure enough, Laban was there for that as well. Laban is Rebecca's brother. And so Laban recognizes this story as well. He's like, oh, yes, um, one of my kinsmen redeemers for my daughter is here. And we're going to have a wedding. And so you guys probably know the story. Laban has two daughters. The older was named Leah, and the younger was Rachel. And the way in which these women are described is Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Okay, so Jacob asks for Rachel because she's the one who is beautiful in appearance, who's a delight to the eye. And so he says... Yeah, it's better that I give you my daughter, Rachel, than I give her to anyone else. So stay with me. And Jacob ends up serving seven years for Rachel. This is verse 20. It's this classic romantic line if you're into that sort of thing. Um, Those seven years seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. And so he completed the seven years. And he's like, all right, give me my wife. It's time to go. And so Laban throws a huge feast, big party. And at the night of the wedding, after all the festivities were done, he sends Leah to Jacob's tent. And Jacob doesn't notice until the morning. In the morning, he wakes up and he's shocked. What the heck? Leah, what are you doing here? And so he goes back to Laban, says, hey, Laban. Why have you deceived me? And we should think, you know, Jacob, you are the one who has been cheating your own brother and your blind father all this time, and yet you are mad about this. And so Laban switches it. Well, of course, like I have to give you my firstborn before the younger daughter. Like, come on. Like, I'm not going to do that to my oldest daughter. So how about this? Um, Why don't you just work, you know, seven more years for my next daughter? And so he agrees to it. He works seven more years for Rachel. And at the end of this section, verse 30, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. So really odd story and kind of a sad story. Um, Dylan, what what else in this story should we be taking away? Realistically, like Corey said, we as the reader are tempted to feel sorry for Jacob in the respect that he has cheated. But Jacob's been the one cheating the whole time. And so instead of going, oh, poor Jacob, this is a what goes around comes around buddy sort of a moment. And so... Jacob gets cheated out of this and yet still ends up working for Rachel because he loves her. And so romantic story, which is fantastic. He ends up with both wives. And as we're going to see next week, these two wives are going to actually bear some very significant children for him. We're going to go ahead and 
wrap up here because we've run out of time for the week. So we're going to begin in verse 31 of chapter 29 next week and roll through Jacob's children, the significance of them, because that is going to come up quite a few times in future episodes, and then go through what exactly happens when Laban and Jacob stop getting along. Did they ever get along? Doesn't seem like it. Whole situation seems funny. But anyway, we'll go ahead and wrap up there. Corey, did you have anything to add before I throw in the closing statements? No, let's close it up. Sweet. Sounds good. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to the show today. We're leaving you on a bit of a cliffhanger, so do not forget to tune in next week. We have these episodes come out every week-ish, depending on when we can get them out. And with that, if you have not yet done so, I do encourage you to listen to the preceding episodes simply because they do help illuminate this one. If you guys have any questions, please don't hesitate to email us. Like Corey said, we do have an email address, scripturechronicles at gmail.com. There you can send in your questions, comments, anything like that. If you want to call us heretics, that's fine. We're lonely. We like to chat. If you'd like to get the most real-time information, the Facebook page is the best place to do that. That is Facebook, and the page is Scripture Chronicles. And finally, visit us on our website, The Bible is a Story. Dot com. There you can find the podcast, blog posts, and other resources to help you out as you study the Bible for yourself. Again, we are not claiming to be the end-all interpreters of the Bible. Instead, we want to give you guys tools for seeing the Bible in a new light, namely by viewing it as a unified story that ultimately points to Christ. So employ the principles that you learn on this show in your own Bible reading. Don't simply rely on us to tell you what's what. Finally. If you do enjoy the show and you would like to support us, you can do that in a variety of ways. First, you can definitely be continuing to pray for the show. We definitely cover your prayers. Secondly, if you enjoy the show and you've been blessed by it, don't forget to share it with your friends. Tell other people about it. Share it on Facebook, things like that. You can leave a review for us. The best place to leave a review is Apple Podcasts or iTunes, simply because that is the most used podcast portal. And finally, if you would like to support the show financially, you can do that through our Patreon page. You can go to thebibleisastory.com and click on Donate. We do pay for everything out of our own pocket, so if you want to keep the show rolling, it's the best way to do that. Thank you guys for everybody who has supported the show so far. We appreciate all of you. I think that wraps up the closing statements. Corey, last opportunity. Anything? Anything at all? Okay, one last thing. We always end the show by saying adios. That just kind of happened. Why don't we pick like a better send-off phrase? Like, I don't know, something somewhat related to the Hebrew Bible, like shalom, but also maybe related to where we know each other from, which is from Hawaii. Why, so don't, we say, why don't we start saying shaloha as we send people off? Well, actually, adios is a bit of an inside joke between me and my father-in-law which is probably why I said it at first. Shaloha, though, works perfectly fine. How about Shalohadios? Shalohadios, guys. <laughs> <laughs>